Lent is a season of giving things up, going without, living on less. It's meant to be a season of disruption that shakes us out of our regular rhythms into something new and different. And as we've been exploring together for these weeks, it's also a season of entering the wilderness, which is a place of isolation and uncertainty, where we live in this heightened tension of fear and faith. Now, the season of Lent aside, does anything that I just said sound familiar? Does any of that feel uh, relevant? Living on less, right? I mean, for most people, it's giving up some kind of favorite food. I, I never knew I'd be trying to live on less toilet paper, right? Uh, disruption, right? I mean, for, for many people, it might be trying to disrupt the habit of checking your phone first thing in the morning, but you know, for every single event this month to be canceled, right? That's disruption. You know, isolation and uncertainty. And all of this takes on a whole new meaning in our current circumstances. We, we really are finding ourselves in a season of wilderness where the tension of fear and faith is pretty high. And so I want to ask you, as we get started in this section, how are you doing? How are you doing in the midst of all of this? I mean, some of you have jobs and, and are still going and you're still on the move, but perhaps there's this new layer of anxiety. Some of you are working from home and maybe after you know a week or two of being there, uh, you're finding your patience getting a little bit thin with your kids or your spouse or whoever else happens to be around. Uh, and others of you are simply feeling more cut off and, and shut in because of all of this. And maybe you're feeling a bit stir-crazy or other times just feeling lonely and depressed. And all of us feel some measure of fear about the virus as well as a sense of loss those who are suffering from it. And all of this goes to show just what we talked about last week in the wilderness. During this time, things of the heart get brought to the surface. Time in the wilderness brings things up to the surface. That anxiety, that impatience, that sadness and fear, those things were always there. It's just now they're being exposed in this wilderness season. You see, we're all confronting disruption, anxiety, and fear, and trying to find ways to respond to them and, and cope with them. Before all of this started, at the very beginning of the season of Lent, uh, Caitlin and I chose a few comforts to give up for the season. One of them was eating out, and well, that hasn't been much of an issue since all the restaurants are closed. But another one was watching TV on weeknights. And I just have to say, that's been really hard uh, in, in the midst of this, right? In this time of uncertainty and anxiety, we've realized that watching TV is one of our big coping strategies. Uh, and by the end of the day, man, all we want is to be able to just veg out and, and watch something. You know, maybe you can relate to that. Uh, that impulse.
impulse that, that we have has been brought into sharper focus. And ultimately, it shows us just how much we ought to be relying on God, rather than relying on entertainment for our comfort and our rest. So what has it been for you in the midst of this all? What things have, have been coming up to the surface in these days? What coping strategies have you found yourself turning to? The question I want to wrestle with together today is this. In the midst of the wilderness, are you looking back or are you looking ahead? When stuff comes to the surface, do you revert back to old, unhealthy habits or do you find new habits of grace that point you back to God? And even in the midst of this crisis, are you just waiting for things to go back to normal? Or are you paying attention to what new things might emerge from this season? I mean, who might we become as a church after this? Who are you becoming in the midst of this? These are some of the questions that I think begin to emerge from our passage today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 and 14 are where we're going today. And we're going to be continuing our wilderness journey with the Israelites. They set off following the movement of God, but it wasn't long before things started coming to the surface for them. Right? And, and they ran into some trouble. We talked about that last week. But they kept making their way. And, and today, in, in chapter 13, they have made it right to the edge of the promised land. Right? They are just about ready to step over into it. This is exciting. Right? But, but in the midst of their wilderness, do they look back? Or do they look ahead? Well, let's read. I'm going to read a few different passages from these two chapters, but we'll start in Numbers 13, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each of their ancestral tribes you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the commandment of the Lord, all of them leading men among the Israelites. Now jump down to verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying on the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of of the land. And they told them, We came to the land which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And yet, the people who live in the land are strong, and the towns are fortified and very large, and besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea 
and along the Jordan. I'll jump down to 14 verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty, right? We're going to be killed and they're going to be captured. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out on the land, tore their clothes. And they said to all the congregation of the Israelites, The land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. Jump down to verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation complain against me? I have heard the complaints of the Israelites, which they complain against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Your dead bodies shall fall in this very wilderness, and of all your number included in the census, from twenty years old and upward, who have complained against me, not one of you shall come into the land into which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become booty, would be captured, I will bring them in. And they shall know the land that you have despised. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. Your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for forty years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, for every day a year, you shall bear your iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely I will do thus to all this wicked congregation gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for this story of the wilderness, even in the midst of our own wilderness. God, I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we see a lot going on in this story. And I want to focus on three main characters, so to speak. All right? We've got the scouts, we've got the people, and then there's God. Right? The scouts, the people, and God. The scouts who went out to spy on the land. The people who responded to their report. And then God who responds to them all. So let's start with the scouts. Right? At the command of God, Moses sends out 12 leaders. And they scout out the land for 40 days. And they come back with a report. Now, all 12 spies come back with the same basic facts. The land is wonderful, and the people are scary, right? And, and even though they had the same basic facts, when they shared it, they kind of spun it differently, right? Ten of the scouts put the emphasis on that last part. The land is wonderful, but the people are scary, Right? And then they list all of the different people groups that lived in the land, and, and they emphasize just how big and menacing they are. We see that in verse 28 and 29, right? Now, the other two, Joshua and Caleb, they also share the same basic facts, but they put the emphasis somewhere else. And you might think, well, they put the emphasis on the other half of that statement. Right? Maybe their support sounds something like, sure, the people are scary, but the land is wonderful. You know, maybe instead of listing all the people like the other scouts did, they would go on and listing all the wonderful things about the land. But here's the thing. That's not what they do. In, verse, uh, in, in 14, chapter 14, verse 8, they describe the land the same exact way the other scouts did. It's a place flowing with milk and honey. But they add something in their description that the other scouts didn't say at all. Right? Verse 8, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land. And then in verse 9, they go on, Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You see, Joshua and Caleb share the same facts, but they don't merely share them with a different emphasis. Rather, they share it with a whole different perspective. They don't emphasize the land. Rather, they point to the Lord. If it was just a matter of different emphasis, then we could chalk the differences up to optimism versus pessimism. Right? The ten scouts are pessimistic, pessimistic that they can actually take on the people. But Joshua and Caleb are optimistic about the good land, and they think that it'll all work out, right? If that were the case, then we could just walk away from the story with resolve to be more optimistic and, and be more confident, a good self-help story. But that is not what's going on here. It's not merely a matter of emphasis, but rather a whole new perspective. It's not a matter of optimism versus pessimism, but rather faithfulness versus faithlessness. This is a lot of what we talked about 
last week. You see, the, the ten spies just shared the facts. The land is wonderful, and the people are scary. But Joshua and Caleb shared the facts and their faith. The land is wonderful, the people are scary, and the Lord is with us. And that's the difference. That's the difference in the midst of our own wilderness crisis right now. All right? I want you guys to think we are not merely called to be optimistic. Rather, we are called to be people of faith. And that leads us to the next character that I want to focus on. The people. Right? You see, first the scouts come back and give their reports, and then the people respond. And the people have to decide who they're going to listen to. What voice are they going to listen to? And, and we're in a similar place right now, right? I mean, some voices are warning us to limit contact with the world, to stay inside, while there are other voices that are claiming that this whole thing is just a big media hoax, right? And then there's the other more subtle voices. The one calling you back to those old coping mechanisms we were talking about earlier. The one stripping away your patience and telling you to lash out in anger. There's the one telling you that you are all alone. That no one cares about you. Right? You know those voices. But then underneath it all, there's that still, small voice whispering that the kingdom is near. That you are a beloved child. So in this sea and cacophony of noise, which voice are we going to listen to? Well, let's look back at the story, right? You would think that after the manna fiasco a couple chapters ago that we talked about last week, that they had learned their lesson, right? They doubted and complained and they looked back to Egypt, but God did provide manna, and he did provide meat for them. And God continued leading them all the way to the edge of the promised land. So surely, their faith is restored, right? Chapter 14, verse 2. All the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this very wilderness? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's choose a captain and let's go back. This is the same script that we were reading a couple chapters ago, right? This is, just goes to show us that, that confession and repentance that we talked about last week are not once and done things. Grace and mercy are not just moments in our life, but rather the whole way that we live our life. You see, the, the Protestant Reformation began in the 16th century when Martin Luther nailed a list of 95 theses to the doors of a church. 
right? And these are, these are 95 things that he disputed with the official teaching and practice of the church at that time. And the very first statement on that list is this. He wrote, When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. You see, at the time the church taught that when you send, you could just buy an indulgence, which was sort of like a spiritual coupon that dealt with your sin, right? And then go on about your life. Pay your fine and move on. That's what they were teaching. And Luther absolutely renounced this. And he taught instead that you did not need only one act of penance, but rather a whole life of repentance. And theologically, I think we would agree with him, except we've often made up our own once-and-done kinds of things. You know, for us, maybe it's baptism, or maybe it's some special prayer of confession that you have to pray. You know, we think you do that, you're good to go. You had a moment of God's grace, and now you're set. But this is not true. Repentance is not something we do once, but rather it is a whole way of life. Grace is not something we experience once, but rather the whole way that we live. This truth is underscored by the people in this story. And we know that we are just like them. Just like the hymn that we often sing, prone to wonder, Lord, I fear it. Prone to leave the God I love. So, which voice do we listen to? Do we go back to Egypt? Or do we press ahead? Do we follow the fearful facts or do we trust in a faithful God? And that brings us to the final person that I want to focus on in this story. Right? The scouts brought their report. The people reacted in fear. So how does God respond to all of this? Well, similar to last week, we do see some anger and some judgment. But we also see faithfulness, and grace. Now, if you can think back to last week, what did we talk about? What is the judgment of God? God's judgment is giving sinners exactly what they want. Giving sinners exactly what they ask for. And that is precisely what we've seen in this story. Look at 14, verse 27. How long, God says, shall this wicked congregation complain against me? I have heard the complaints of the Israelites, which they complain against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Your dead bodies shall fall in this very wilderness. Verse 30, not one of you shall come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. So God gives them exactly what they asked for. 
They are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. All the ones who did not trust God will die. And only Caleb and Joshua from that generation would enter the land. This is God's judgment, giving them precisely what they asked for. But then God does something incredibly gracious. He transforms the people's fear into a promise. Let's keep reading in verse 31. God goes on to say, But your little ones, who you said would become booty, right? Who you said would be captured. I will bring them in. And they shall know the land that you despised. You see, the people were afraid that they were going to be killed and their children were going to be captured. But God transforms that fear into a promise. Those children who you feared would be captured by the people will be the very ones to overtake those people and enter the land promise. So God is a God of judgment but he is also a God of redemption. And by delivering their children into the land, he redeems the people. He looked at their fear, and he called it a lie, and he replaced it with a promise. And this is the very same thing that God does for us in Jesus, who looked at death, called it a lie, and replaced it with the promise of life in his kingdom, both now and forever. God is a God of redemption. And he called us into that work of redemption alongside him. So what does that look like in this wilderness season when we're anxious and cut off from each other and from the world around us? Well, at the very least, when we look at this story, we can see that it is not just merely being a people of optimism, but rather being people of faith who trust God in every season. We can see that it's not giving in to our old coping habits, but rather living whole lives of repentance immersed in God's grace. We can see that it's, it's not listening to all those voices of fear and anxiety and depression, but rather growing quiet and listening for the voice of God beneath it all, reminding us and reassuring us of his love. And ultimately, it is not looking back, but looking forward. It's not just coping, but cultivating. It's not just making it through this season, but making something new out of it. So I want to ask you, those questions I asked at the beginning once more. What has been coming to the surface for you in the midst of all of this? What old habits, coping mechanisms have begun to creep 
back in. How might you use this season to make new habits? What new things might emerge from this time? Who might we become as a church after this? Who are you becoming in the midst of this? May we continue to be people trusting in God's promise and rooted in His grace. May it be so. Amen.